right, Mikey. We are through a full week of August. We got the USDA report uh, on Friday this week, and we have CPI out tomorrow, so we get inflation uh, numbers. We had unemployment uh, come out last week. Markets feel like they've turned. I think we've talked about this. They feel like after we saw that sell-off in May and June that the macro markets have turned the corner. And specifically, silver, gold, Dow, S&P, NASDAQ. Crude, maybe not yet. Um, corn and beans, they're, I mean, there's still a lot of volatility, but it's awful choppy. Is there anything that we can look at from a perspective of the geopolitical situation or even the U.S. E- economic situation that gives us an indication that we just don't care about inflation or we just don't care about rate hikes anymore? It will definitely come down to how big of reactions we start moving, what kind of really option movement we see based on futures or stocks and everything in between there. But really what it comes down to is, is there money still being pumped out to the general public, whether it be from the Fed or whether it be from the government? And is it enough to continue to keep a short-term stimulus in play? Because as long as that hose remains on, water's still flowing. And if that's flowing, we're still going to be good. As soon as that turns off, though, and we have high interest rates and whatever else it may be, uh, party could quickly die. Well, it just seems like, I mean, I don't know if you want to call it printing money or just spending money or both, but we just keep finding reasons to put money out there whether it's four or five billion or ten billion or whatever to ukraine four hundred and some billion for whatever this most recent bill that we signed whether it was climate change or or inflation whatever it was there's money somewhere Mm -hmm. are we really just printing that much money and pushing it out into circulation i mean are we getting it so that it's in the in the hands of the consumer because consumer spending is still through the roof. Yeah, it's it's a mix. So with the Ukraine side of things, we're sending out these war loans, basically, is what they are. So we're giving out money in return for interest payment, things along those lines later, where eventually we'll get a payback, but as of right now, it's not. And the fact that we're giving out money to other countries while also giving out money internally while also uh, quantitative tightening, while also in- increasing interest rates, while also <laughs> it's, it's a lot of things culminating where typically we have a few things moving. We're giving out money and we're expecting to see it being returned and seeing that investment come back. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens if Ukraine loses? Russia's not paying that money back. They don't no, give a care. They don't care. Yeah, it's lost. What happens if while we're doing this and giving money to Ukraine, we have to go in and help Taiwan? Now we're spending further money. What happens if X, Y, Z happens? And we, The problem is we keep printing money. And mm-hmm. we've talked about this a couple of weeks back with the hyperinflative story. But at some point, you look at all the money outspending, and just like the comment you just made, 
where is this money coming from? Where is it going to? You, you lose the credibility of the dollar as a storage of wealth. Mm-hmm. We have the dollar at incredible highs still. Yeah, what, 106, 105, uh, 100, yeah. yeah, whatever. So it's still sitting at very high levels. You have all this outstanding debt. You have us now passing multiple bills that are going to be spending more money. You have uh, quantitative tightening happening. And all this culminates into this idea of what really is a storehold of wealth at this point? Is it gold, which during war times typically is, because it's going to be something that you can transfer between countries without any kind of backing of the government? Mm-hmm. Um, good, any commodity goods that you can hold, because they have any kind of value, whether it be food, whether it be energy, and metals, like we just talked about. So. We are really at this precipice of larger change, and you've seen, we have not seen it in our lifetime, but it has happened in previous lifetimes where you see this world reserve currency shift, and you see one country start to downshift while another is upshifting, and the idea of where people are going to be placing their money because most people are going to be trading under that country's currency Mm -hmm. is what we're currently looking at. We're currently looking at a shift and you're seeing a lot of people question whether or not I want to keep my money in the U.S. system. It happened between the Dutch Gilder and the uh, British pound and then the British pound and the U.S. dollar. And we've had multiple shifts of our currency from a hard currency that's backed by gold to a fiat currency to a debt-backed currency. And Right now, we're just overloading the debt. And if you're looking at GDP to debt ratios, we're not sitting well. Right. Well, let's let's look at it from a an ag perspective. So we've seen something recently that kind of perked our interest. And you and I have talked about it. I've talked about it with some of our other uh, brokers and branches. And it's interesting. I've talked about it with a few customers, too. But... Um, USDA sends out these flash sale uh, announcements. Two of them in particular, uh, outside of the the sales to China, two of them in particular are interesting. Bean meal to Poland, reportable number, an actual reportable number, and corn to Italy. Those are not countries that come up on our flash sales very often. Yeah. Where... Is this a situation where it is finally the shipments out of Ukraine have just taken so gosh darn long that they are shifting those from Ukraine to the U.S. for the, let's say, the corn side of things? Is it the situation with South, with uh, Argentina not willing to devalue their peso. Uh, so you're seeing uh, some go away from uh, Argentina and maybe go to some cheaper meal from the United States. Uh, or is it the drought and dryness issues in in Europe that is is causing some of these newer customers i guess i would say they're not new but they're it's it's ones that we don't see very often it's definitely a mix of all but i think a very big growing importance and a weight that we're gonna have to keep watching is going to be that eu situation because not only are they in a drier condition than normally and you're starting to see ideas shift especially on the private numbers 
But you also have to remember that they opened up extra emergency land Mm -hmm. for growing. So the fact that not only are they not meeting normal needs, but they're not meeting normal needs with more land is very concerning. Yeah, but that normal land or that that emergency land, wouldn't that be similar to like our own CRP where it's not exactly the best stuff anyway? Yes, but at the same time, regardless of how good it is, it's still adding supply. True. Okay. So if Hello. we're not adding supply from that side of things, and on top of it, we're underneath a normal supply for the EU, mm-hmm. that is problematic. And we know we've got sky-high inflation. They're dealing with it, too. They're raising rates. The uh, the European Central Bank just raised rates. You had the, uh, the UK just raised rates. Um, you know, you, you have this situation where... Russia is still under sanctions, so they're not able to ship or they're not shipping as much as they were. Um, you know, the everything costs more. Everything. I mean, it's ridiculous. I know I just read something uh, the other uh, yesterday, maybe, that Brazil came out and pre-bought fertilizer like crazy. They're in between seasons, but they didn't. I guess from what I've heard and what I read, and this is, I think it was coming from Reuters, they didn't necessarily pay attention to where or how they're going to store all this fertilizer. So now they've got a backlog of, of fertilizer that they, they, may have, they may have an issue with. And this is a, a country that is planting, you know, we've talked about it before, fence post to fence post, but every time they get to the fence post, they pick them up and move them out further. This is a situation with the same thing in the in Europe too with all the heat and dryness. How much could that be exacerbated by the fact that they had this issue with sky-high fertilizer prices? Did they maybe not pay for some of that pay to to stay up with it because it was too expensive same thing with the natural gas prices same thing we know that they have energy uh, energy concerns over there because of uh, getting it a lot of it from russia how much and how bullish do we get in the short term cuz we right now we know we're not in a recession per se so how bullish do we get in the short term I think short term, you got to look at it more from a stagflation period. I think we're going to remain in this stagflation period until you really start to see these small cracks turn to larger ones. And right now, you every have, farmer out there knows exactly what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, as of right now, it's something that you're looking at the current market environment, and yeah, it, it's painful. It hurts a little bit doesn't hurt enough people a lot mm-hmm. in order to really get that panic going. So as of right now, it's probably more of a stagflation idea, maybe through the end of quarter three, maybe at the end of this year. But it looks like we're going to stay somewhat stable as we go into midterms. So just choppiness, essentially. Yeah, looking it's for volatility extreme, to continue right now. Just trading extremes. When it goes up a lot, sell it. When it goes down a, a lot, buy it. Yeah. It seems <laughs> okay. to be the case right now. And it should, I think at least it should remain until we get to about midterms. Maybe after midterms we get a better oh, idea. Yeah. Keep forgetting it's an election year. Jeez. With everything else, I don't, I'm don't. i not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it, it's going to be very 
I can't say very political because it has been very political. It's everything gonna remain is, extre- everything is political yeah. now. It doesn't matter what it is. It's it's all political. Yeah, so. it's going to remain very political. They're going to try their best to keep the economy somewhat stable. They're going to try and keep crude underneath a hundred bucks, and they're going to try their best. But when it comes down to it, no matter how much we're going to release from strategic oil reserves, that will be replenished. We're not seeing a ton of new rigs come online. We're not seeing a lot of large output increases. And as long as that's remaining, it's not going to help us out long term. Well, you have the demand concerns from, say, China, Japan, whoever, for uh, first certain types of energy um, because manufacturing was down or not nearly where they thought it was going to be. Um, Typical driving season here in the United States is on the decline. Um, You know, but the strategic oil uh, reserve or strategic petroleum reserve, I guess is the, the what it's actually called, is at the lowest levels it's been for like 37, 40 years, something like that. It's going to be replenished, but I mean, it seems like the the current method right now is more continue to pull out of it. And yeah. that's that's the little worrisome. So if we if we continue to pull out of it, prices stay stable and, and continue to back off, we start to pump back into it, that's when we start to see prices start to, to rise again? Not so much when we pump back into it, but what happens when we continue to pull from it, we're not seeing an increase in production, and then you see a war break out. And then your your stocks are low. and Yeah, and you're yeah. trying to pull from something that's just not there because we've done so much. The problem is we're currently creating bottlenecks that we're not fully thinking through. It's not that right now we have adequate production and we're able to – it's the fact that a lot of places are pulling right now and not producing as much. So we're decreasing that supply. And when we do need it, when we're not expecting that we need it, is when you see just this panic flush. We're just band-aiding everything. Right. So Sticking your finger in the dam and, and hoping that it... Yeah, Clark Griswold, well, we're just putting <laughs> pieces of gum in there and hoping that it works. <laughs> so. It just, I mean, it, it seems like, you know, for every time it feels like that the market is has accepted the fact that there's risk out there and we're going to take a bunch of risk off the table and the market falls off heavy... We come storming back. And it's, you know, like I said, with the, say, the, the Dow or the S&P, that was June June 17th or something like that was the low was put in. Um, on the, you know, the corn and beans, it was July 22nd, something like that, that the low was, was put in. And then we came storming back. Um, but it just continues to, it does continue to chop. And that's... Where I think you're you're running into some issues, though, is we've talked about this is with the the open interest declining. Mm-hmm. You know, we're at uh, multi-year lows or maybe multi-decade lows for uh, for the grains, and I think you're 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 seeing it uh, you know reflect in, in the volume across the board. Of course, summer isn't summertime generally a low volume time anyway and a lot of a lot of money taken off the table or put back on it put back on the table as we go into into fall and winter yeah we like to really especially how close we are to figuring out yields and everything it's typically a time you start to see it calm down a little bit but what it comes down to when you could talk about 
how low we are comparative to even a normal year, that's where you can see, again, the hyperinflation come into play because everyone's trying to storm in, climbing on top of each other, and you just mm-hmm. see the market move very quickly. And right now you're seeing businesses actually decrease the amount of uh, employees, you're seeing layoffs, you're seeing things taking place, and you're decreasing the capabilities of these businesses. So if we do start to see things start to get better or we need factories come online because we need to produce planes or missiles or whatever the heck we need, and these companies that can't produce don't have the capabilities anymore because they had to downsize, again, another bottleneck that has developed. Mm-hmm. And you see people need to skyrocket their prices because they need to be buying these raw materials that everyone else is also trying to buy. And everything just gets very quick and very aggressively inflated. Let's talk one more thing before we uh, we cut out for the uh, for the week here. But uh, um, talk in the office and we've seen seen the charts with some gaps on them. Let's talk specifically about some of these gaps. Uh, I know we've talked about them before. Let's review them. So you've got a corn gap at 584 and a quarter. You and this is December corn. You've got a corn gap from last night at 14 or I'm um, 14. I wish. <laughs> Jeez. Every farmer out there. <laughs> um, a corn gap at 611 now from last night. Beans have a gap down at 13 1549 and a quarter but nothing else beyond that what are the diff- oh there's also a gap above the bean market okay all right let's talk about that then but let's let's talk in uh, first with everything that's below us what are the differences between those gaps right now what is, what what do we have to look forward to or what do we need to be thinking about as far as potential upside or potential downside when it comes to those gaps what are the how do those help us to understand how we have to navigate these markets so whenever doing gap analysis there's a couple things to look at one you have to figure out which type of gap is it when it comes to gaps you got four different types you have common gaps which are just in markets that are low liquidity and the, you just see them all over the place. Not the, the chart case is in absolutely beans. literal. Or, yeah. yeah, there's gaps everywhere. Yeah, we're talking like lumber or maybe like rice or something like that. Right. Low, very low volume. And then, yeah, and then when you're doing gap analysis, the gaps that you really want to look for are called breakaway gaps, runaway gaps exhaustion gaps and they will happen in that sequence breakaway gaps can be the first gap you see on a move it signifies that you have a change in trend a directional movement ahead of you and be looking for it to continue a runaway gap typically happens halfway through the move so that's your 50 percent mark that's in the same direction as same where direction. the or- original gap was yes okay. so look for that being 50 percent and look for a, another equal move of what you've seen going into the gap. And then you have the exhaustion gap that's going to happen about where the measuring gap or the runaway gap would take you to. Okay. And that gap is typically filled up very quickly, whether it be same day, whether it be within the same week. It's a, It usually does not stay open long. Okay. So in the case of corn, you had the initial gap at 84 and a quarter. And then the gap last night at eleven, at six eleven. 
Are you going to call that the breakaway gap and the measuring gap? So that's what comes down to the next part, which is the degree that you're looking at. Because we did actually, on a smaller degree chart, put in a breakaway gap below the first gap you mentioned. It oh. comes, we finished the Friday on basically our lows, and then that next Sunday night, we opened significantly higher and never retested that close. So on a smaller degree chart, whether it be an hourly chart, half hour, 15, whatever you're looking at, you do have a gap there that would signify your breakaway gap, which would then mean that the gap that everyone sees on the daily chart is going to be your measuring gap. And then your gap that you saw a couple weeks back where you just gapped significantly higher out of the gate and then finished the day lower was your exhaustion. So at this point, you'd be looking at that and it could be still potentially the breakaway gap on a daily chart because, again, you're looking at degree, mm-hmm. in which case you'd be looking at this as your measuring gap because it would be your second gap open. Okay. All right. And you mentioned the gaps above us. Mm-hmm. How do those play in when you now have gaps below you and above you? Well, now if we have our breakaway gap signifying a change in trends to the upside, you'd be looking at those gaps that – were your first change of trend to the downside as potential targets. We saw it last year with corn. We kept talking about this gap on the uh, on the December corn chart for 2021 and how we kept looking for it to get filled, kept looking for it to get filled, and never quite actually got filled. And you kept leaving gaps all over the chart that we kept going and filling and everything. So it could be that we go and target it and you don't quite get there. But now you've got two points of reference, that top side gap and that bottom side gap, that could be where we keep this market range bound for the rest of the year. Like we were talking about with this high volatility, yeah. those could be your two marks that you keep trying to get to, but you can't quite make it to either one. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Very good information. So if you guys have any questions on gaps, please give us a call, 800-2-MARKET. That's 800-262-7538. But for Allendale Market Talk, this is Mike Lung and Greg McBride signing off. You guys have a great one.